example. An example I think of is Harry Potter versus Neville Longbottom. Wait, do they fight? With each other? Yeah. No. Oh, you mean comparing and contrasting. Who wins that fight? I'm going to give it to Neville. I was going to give it to Neville too, but not an informed opinion. I just hate Harry. Live for the Mundangerous Strongbox in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 78 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about keeping, telling, and using secrets. But first, the party hides behind their rosettes in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, Overwatch's Reaper is coming, and Hell's coming with him in the Character Creation Forge. So, it's... January again, so we are back on the Unearthed Arcana bandwagon. Yeah, the latest one is no longer in alphabetical order. It's also not actually a class that we've seen at all. Well, we have seen it in the first Unearthed Arcana. Oh, I forgot that because it's kind of like the fourth Indiana Jones movie. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So the Artificer came out. Uh, It was the first of the new year. Of course, we're excited about that because, I mean, we started as basically an Eberron podcast and the Artificer is originally from Eberron. Near dear to our hearts. Yeah. This Artificer, still not doing it for me. Yeah, no, not at all. They went through a ton of iterations with the Ranger and I don't know, it looks like they're probably going to go through a ton more for the Artificer. See, unlike you, I'd be happy with the Ranger staying as it is, but this, this has to change. I mean, yeah, this is terrible. So... It's a spellcaster, which is fine. The Artificer has always been a spellcaster, mm-hmm. but it's like a one-quarter spellcaster. <laughs> you mentioned it when we were just sort of going over these notes. <laughs> How could it possibly be worse than the Eldritch Knight? And yet it is. It is, yeah. yeah. Uh, it has no damage spells, um, all party buff spells and sort of you know movement, escape, utility kind of spells, which I, I think is actually fine. I just don't know why it's a limited. Yeah, like the Artificer was always about party buffing but there was another kind of artificer that was basically an evoker yeah you know you were the one who like drew two wands at the same time and this just started blasting everybody right well we'll get to that (laughs) kind of (laughs) yeah yeah. uh so it also gets free utility magic items at a couple different levels so basically at each tier uh they're always kind of low level even for their tier yeah, I think you can get a broom of flying at level 15, yeah. but it's an uncommon and costs 500 gold pieces. Yeah, so it, it it comes real late, but whatever, fine. I'm I'm okay with that. That's kind of a, a neat ability. It lets you get up to six attunement slots, which I don't know how that breaks the game, but I feel like it's going to be a problem. So I think it'll be okay, mainly because the way to break magic items is to pick magic items that don't require attunement. Well, that's true, but, but that's because magic items are balanced based on attunement. So you're expected to only be able to daisy chain three of them together. They're ostensibly balanced. Well, right. But we have magic items that do exactly the same thing. One requires two minutes and one doesn't. Yeah, I, I know, I know. Anyway, this is really powerful. Can we agree on that? Well, once you add in the capstone, yes. Yeah, so the capstone, you get plus one to all of your saving throws per attuned magic item. Plus six to saves is insane. That's super good. That's like being more than proficient in every single save and that's all saves that includes things like death saving throws Mm -hmm. 
that's incredible. It's really good. It's really I mean, good. like, I'm incredulous. It, it is what level 20 should be. Yeah. <laughs> like, some of the paladins get it, and this. <laughs> I mean, you, if it means that you can't multi-class out of a one-quarter casting class, well, yeah. yeah, maybe it needs to be really good. Yeah. Uh, which is, okay, fine. Uh, you can also infuse your spells into items so your party can use them later, which is fine. That's like creating temp magic items. I think that's cool. Since you don't really have any evocation spells, it's it's fine. The wording does seem a little strange, though. Like, it always is cast with you as the target or the item as the target, depending on the spell. Yeah. So I find it strange that an artificer can't make a wand that shoots a fireball. Unless you make yourself the target. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just, it's so not Eberron. Yeah, it missed on that one. It missed on the wand in general, really. Yeah. Is, is one just cool thing of the artificer that's missing but there are two specialties mm-hmm. one is the alchemist and the that's the kind of utility artificer and then there's the gunsmith which is much more of the evoker artificer right so let's talk about the alchemist first you get alchemical formulas and a bag that holds your reagents it, it it's essentially like a bag Spell of holding component bag yeah, yeah you you pull your thing out of it it doesn't really matter right it's flavor um, yeah, so you get two different types of attacks. Weirdly, they are both deck saving throws. One of them is a group or is a area effect fire, and the other is a single target acid attack, which means you're never going to roll an attack roll. One to 20, probably ever. And you're always hosed by decks. Yeah, you don't have the option like other casters to target charisma or strength or whatever. Yeah. It does mean, though, that you can be basically like solely intelligence-focused. You don't need dexterity because you're going to throw things. I mean, you still need dexterity because you need defenses. So it's just like any other spellcaster, really. I don't know why they didn't just make it like an intelligence attack roll. I know. It would be nice to be able to do something on your turn if you're only hitting a single target, in my opinion. I agree. You get a minor bit of healing. Uh, It takes a long time, and you can only heal each creature one time per long rest. So... It scales decently, but it takes two actions. Mm -hmm. So you take an action to produce it, and then it takes the creature an action to drink it, which is just too much. It should be a bonus action to drink. Yeah, it doesn't work in combat, basically. Or or you have to prep it going into combat, and you can use it once per combat. Right. Other than that, you get literally alchemical items like Tanglefoot bags and things like that, which we've already talked about before, aren't really useful after the first few levels. Well, these do have scaling difficulty classes it's just that the effects are kind of limited right like uh it's a fog cloud it's a good smokestick you yeah know? uh fine there's the one the thunder stone or whatever that lets you push somebody and knock them prone right but no damage right um or you can boost speed that sort of stuff but whatever they're not great <laughs> and in general i would say that this artificer path is not great but let's take a look at the gunsmith So the gunsmith is your damage dealer. He is going to get a weapon called a thunder cannon, which is a 2d6 damage ranged weapon, two-handed, with a little bit worse max range than a longbow. Yeah, 150, 500. Yeah. So it is a ranged greatsword. Great. You get 40 shots per day with it, and every time you take a short rest, you uh, gain 10 more shots, and you reload as a bonus action. So... You'll never get extra attack with the Artificer, but hey, it's a 2d6 range attack. It's a pretty sweet sniper weapon. Yeah. And here's the thing. It gets a weapon. 
This, I think, is the first use I've ever, ever seen for the Weapon Master feat, which lets you just pick proficiency in four weapons. So if you're some other class and you want a Thunder Cannon and it exists in the game, you can be proficient in it. Yep. You're going to have to kill an Artificer to get one, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> I mean, why wouldn't you? <laughs> this one, at at each level of the uh, of the subclass, you will get different kinds of attacks to add on. So... They're mostly like watered down spells. Mm-hmm. Like you get like a watered down fireball at like level 17. 17. Yeah. You get a watered down lightning bolt. Uh, well, it's actually a cone of lightning. <laughs> oh, really? It's not yeah, a line? It's not a line. It's like cone of cold, actually, but That's with lightning damage. Weird. Um, but nothing ever really approaches what you get at third level. Yeah. I don't know why you'd ever use anything else. So it's called Thundermonger, and it adds plus 1d6 damage at third level, and then another d6 at every odd level after that, up to plus 9d6 so a grand total of 11d6 damage on your thunder cannon attacks just on an attack roll that's your one attack for the round now you might be thinking oh that sounds a lot like the rogue and sneak attack yeah it is 1d6 worse than sneak attack it's used with a 2d6 weapon so it nets out you you might (laughs) potentially be using a rapier as a rogue so sure uh here's the kicker no no requirements to use it it's just you activate it so if you're gonna shoot one target you're gonna shoot really really big from far away it's just better than rogue so for me this one should be using the approach of the elemental monk where you're gaining abilities but they have varying costs of key you should have you know multi-shot type abilities where okay you pour six of your bullets or whatever they are into your gun and then you get a powered up shot and that limits the amount of times you'll be able to do that so that you can actually get full spells because the problem with using a watered down fireball at level 17 is like yeah you've got an area effect it just does 48 damage which Mm -hmm. is nothing at high levels yeah this is a class that is just going to spam the same at will attack over and over and over again it's like more annoying than warlock yeah. Because you only get to roll once around. Though, fistful of dice principle, maybe it's more fun. <laughs> Wizards, back to the drawing board on this one, please. Yeah. I, I feel like they should just give Thundermonger and Thunder Cannon to the Alchemist. Yeah. And then it would be fine. I would play that. Also, I hate the name Gunsmith. Also, Gunsmith is terrible. Yeah. Wandsmith. Yeah. Yes. Make it a wand. Yes, please. Anyway. So, Shane... Where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? So the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign is our rogue trader game. Uh, We are currently in the prologue, um, which is being played using Dark Heresy 2nd Edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games. Um, If you found us looking for our Eberron recaps, the Morning Glory campaign, uh, we finished that in episode 73, but the entire back catalog is still available for you to listen. Our intrepid adventurers, uh, members of an inquisitorial warband, were dispatched to the planet of Novabella to investigate them falling behind on their imperial tithe. And what did you do when you got there? We started purging heretics, obviously. Okay, you murdered the Viceroy, basically unprovoked. Tried to pin heresy on him to justify your actions. And then what happened? Okay, that may all be technically correct. Then we were surrounded... By the Strictionists, the basically the militia. And we, well, we didn't surrender. We flashed inquisitorial rosettes and said, look, we're here for a very good reason and we demand to see the governor. Yeah, it was like this awkward standoff. 
Yeah. Uh, at, at which point, at, at multiple points in the standoff, you considered rushing headlong at them. I mean, we had two assassins who considered just leaving. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but ultimately, yes, you did negotiate an audience with the planetary governor who lived in a lavish estate that was kind of on the opposite side of town. Um, so a short um, forced march over there and you arrived, sat down in his receiving chamber, and he came, introduced himself as uh the brother of that murdered viceroy of yours. Oops. Everfast Kathrinkus. I'm sure he's happy that we got rid of his rival brother, right? Um, that must be what's going on. Well, here's the thing. Kind of what you quickly determined. Governor Kathrinkus is corrupt, but not in the capital C corruption chaos sort of way. More just in the old-fashioned political power sort of way he's basically been skimming off the top of the tithe and using that to enrich himself with you know off-world luxuries right this planet is basically like amish levels of technology incredibly austere yeah but he has an amazing estate yeah it's not technologically advanced but it's full of like fine tapestries and art and those types of things that you know even to the non-discerning eye you can tell didn't come from here so our actual job is to investigate why the tithe hasn't been paid and root out any potential corruption or heresy. So this is actually the first time we've seen something that seems like it's out of place. So this is where we want to be. Yeah. And he basically explains that his brother, Martin Kithrinkis, the viceroy, was keeping things running right on time. And that uh, when the astropath, the planet's only ability to communicate telepathically with the rest of the Imperium, died 20 years ago no one ever showed up to collect the tithe and it's just been rotting in silos since uh which is a problem because that means they don't have the tithe anymore maybe they should have invested in some refrigeration well they didn't have any contact with offworlders did they look it's their fault obviously (laughs) right so he is more worried about retaining his position than he is about burying any chaos taint or anything like that you guys are pretty sure that he's just incompetent and not necessarily dangerous but he doesn't seem to quite understand the implications of the inquisition arriving like he thinks he's in way over his head for skimming off the top and you guys are like yeah no we're looking for like heretics (laughs) like you're just an asshole yeah like they don't call us for things the administratum could handle but this doesn't seem like this guy is summoning demons or worshiping chaos cults right so you come to terms because that's what you got to do when you're staring down the barrel of a gun, almost quite literally. <laughs> so you decided that Kathrinkus would agree a increase in production to help catch up for the tithe that was required. So he would basically pay back the backlog of the tithe, which will be a challenge. That basically means he's going to starve his workers in order to meet the imperial tithe requirement. But you're going to need to talk to the overseer of the um, agri-harvest sodality, which is sort of the manufactorum on the planet, and get that handled with her. And also, there's this harvest festival that's coming up because it's kind of like the one holiday that the uh, the workers get per year. And you're not going to interrupt that because if you interrupt that, it's going to be really bad and he's not going to be able to maintain order. Riots. Yeah. 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 Okay. And when you get one holiday a year, you know, it's like, you're <laughs> like, not going to get me back next year, dude. <laughs> and it's not like one ho- holiday. Like, it's one day off. It's one day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we dive into planetary politics, and we are 
Not the group for that. No. <laughs> because you are murder hobos through and through. We'll find out who gets murdered by hobos next week. So this week we are talking about secrets. They're strong enough for a GM, but CR balanced for PCs. Oh, perfect. <laughs> so they get a bad rap. Yeah. Like everyone has horror stories about someone in their party who was keeping a secret and then it came out and sort of ruined things. Oh, I thought you meant smelly gamers get a bad rap. We're not talking about the deodorant anymore. (laughs) (laughs) But secrets can be effectively used in game. They can heighten tension. uh, They can add unexpected surprises. They can also pull players in even deeper into their story when they've got the secret. Or when they're the one who gets to make the big reveal. Mm -hmm. So if you do want to use them in your game, there are several different types that you might try. Uh, The first one is there's information that one player knows but is hidden from the other players. You know, so the GM knows the information. One or more of the players knows that info, but for whatever reason, some of the players, you know, not just the character in the game, but the actual player at the table doesn't know this information. This is the sort of most typical secret that people think about, right? The, The mole in the party, the one who's actually working for the bad guy. Yeah, or like, uh, I'm secretly the lost son of nobility. Yeah, like it doesn't need to be something that's necessarily going to hurt the party or hurt other people in the party. It's just information one character knows that some of the others don't. Right. Like, like you know, Darth Vader was Luke's father. Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> no! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Another way to use secrets at the table is sort of open secrets. That's things that everybody at the table knows. But one or more of the PCs don't. So they kind of have to act accordingly. Yeah, this is basically every character that we're playing in our current Dark Sun game. Uh, Well, yeah, because we have started (laughs) slightly before the current continuity of Dark Sun, uh, in which the Sorcerer King of Tyr Kallik dies (laughs) at the the current timeline. Uh, We started a few weeks before that, and then we watched him die. On top of that, each of the characters has some sort of secret so in dark sun most spellcasters are completely outlawed uh but i think staff is playing a former templar oh yeah <laughs> uh, i'm playing a druid yep. uh, which is totally illegal i'm a blade singer which not a thing yeah no uh-uh, not allowed uh, arcane magic ruined the world right yeah oh cameron is a paladin which don't even exist right paladins straight up not a thing yeah those were templars yeah. <laughs> But here's the thing. So all of our characters don't necessarily know all of these things about the other characters. But at the table, we're all talking about it out loud. You know, so Steph is talking about how, oh, she's a Templar and she's talking with Angelo, the GM. And he's saying, well, here's what you would know because you're a Templar. So the rest of us at the table know that her character is a Templar, but our characters don't know that and need to act in a way as if we don't. Yep. And then there are, of course, as always, GM secrets, things that the GM knows or has decided that she hasn't shared with the players at all. But we'll get more into that a little bit later in the episode. So there are several different ways to introduce a secret into your game. The most common is the through the background or the backstory of the different PCs. It's the easiest way to explain why other characters, and then by extension the other players at the table, don't actually know this information. You know, because it happened before the party even got together. Yeah, and sometimes... This is a good candidate for information that's not known by all the players, right? And you're, you're asking your GM, hey, you know that thing from my background? Does that apply? Is that, is that helpful here? Do I know that thing because of that thing? 
And everyone else is like, what's that thing? What What is she talking about? What is that thing? I want to know about this thing. <laughs> it's fine. You weren't there. You, you weren't there. No, it's nothing. You guys don't notice anything. <laughs> I'll send you an email. Do you tell the group? No. <laughs> Information can also be introduced in side quests. We've talked a bit about this before. It's tougher to work in, but... There are times when some of the PCs can have an adventure or like interactions with NPCs that don't involve other players or don't involve the entire group. Yeah, splitting the party works the same way. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes that it'll be an open secret, right? You're sort of running two groups that that are split up and like one group talks with some people. They don't necessarily need to share that with the other group or they, you know, don't know that even though everyone at the table does. Right. It's usually best not to do just a side quest that only involves some people at the table. But, you know, it's sometimes a really good opportunity if quorum wouldn't have been met otherwise. You know, so instead of canceling the game, you have two or three players. You just say, you know what, you guys are going to go off and do a thing. And then you can decide if you're going to tell the others. Yeah. And it's way easier in an online game or if you do, as we have suggested, intercession emails. You know, you can email people in between weekly sessions and be like, hey, here's a thing that happens to you. Here's some extra info. That's the thing that I used to do when Shane's character, Brand in the Morning Glory campaign would go off and investigate things in Flamekeep. Yeah, well, actually, (laughs) (laughs) that brings us to our next example, arising out of actions within the game. So a player saying, I'm not telling everyone else what I did. Yeah, I I did that, but... I'm just going to keep it to myself. Yeah. Uh, and in Brand's case, it was, yeah, I did that in between sessions when I teleported off and disappeared. And all I tell you is that I teleported back and in time for us to leave. Right. Brand disappears for two days. And he shows up again. Yeah. I wonder why they didn't trust you. <laughs> Not my problem, man. <laughs> this is also kind of that old trope of, um, you know, one of us distract the paladin so that we can rob the tavern blind kind of deal. You don't want to get caught by the member of your own party, but the player obviously knows that you guys are looting bodies or committing murder or whatever it is. Right. All of you know it's going to come to a head at some point, but you're sort of laying the groundwork for that. Right. And then you can also have other players introduce secrets for other characters at the table. I think this is sometimes actually built into a system. Was that game that Will Wheaton was doing? Titan's Grave? Yes. That was, wasn't that Matthew Mercer? I don't know. What's the difference? <laughs> no, it was it was Will Eden. At the beginning of that game, he took each player aside and said, give me a few secrets that you know about the other characters. Yep. That was also an integral part of my own personal best game I've ever been a part of. My example from a catacomb this year, if you remember. Yeah, so talk about how that worked. So this was a Cypher System superhero game. Um, that Darcy Ross was running, we had the pregens, and they all had a secret about somebody else's character. So they were all tied together in some way. But then she asked us to create a secret for our own character. And that's when origin stories became very confusing. (laughs) (laughs) There was a thing with a love triangle and a car wreck and a case of mistaken identity. It was very, very confusing. So exactly like comic books. Exactly, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Like It was definitely written by Bendis. (laughs) Yeah, we talk a lot about, you know, using information to get player buy-in, leaning on their plot hooks, getting into the information in their backstories and trying to incorporate that. But this really allows you to get player buy-in for the party itself, you know, other people in the group. It can really help bring in a lone wolf character. It can bring in a lone wolf player. 
Yeah, the only risk there is that it reduces the control that a person has over their own character. And, you know, in long games, you can be requiring somebody to play a character they're not really that interested in because of the seeker that was created for them. You can also get in a situation where it feels very like strands of fate. Like, why are we all in a party to begin with? Well, it wasn't random happenstance. Like, we all ended up here because apparently we all knew each other beforehand. Yeah, just didn't know yeah, it. Exactly. <laughs> It's like lost. (laughs) (laughs) So your mileage may vary with that approach. Yeah, it is definitely a great way to tie people together for one shots when it's low burden. I think it's worked well for us in our groups when it's been maybe a few people at the table. Well, we usually volunteer this. Yes. Sometimes we'll like get together and be like, wait, wait, hold on. I got a concept. Ready? (laughs) But we'll actually be talking more about backstories next week. (laughs) All right. So you got secrets at your table. You got... Secrets involving the PCs. Maybe they involve some of the other PCs. What are the consequences of playing out and using these secrets? It's all going to blow up in your face, right? Obviously, the rogue is going to steal stuff. It's not going to tell anybody. I mean, going to run away. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's why we play these games, right? <laughs> yeah. So it blows up in your face. It's just a matter of the scope of the consequences, mm-hmm. right? Um, some secrets will just be personal. So it's just a single character is really affected by them. It, it might not affect even the rest of the game, right? It could just be kind of, oh, my private little headcanon mm-hmm. or uh, or something just between me and the GM, right? That uh, might help you in playing your character or might help you in developing your character's arc that isn't necessarily need to be revealed to everyone else. Yeah, and you can share it. It can be an open secret or you just keep it to yourself. It doesn't really matter. There's not really a mechanical effect. As a GM, that can really aid in furthering a particular character's arc, you know, like making them really feel like this is a a world where things happen and small things matter. Yeah. It can also be a little bit bigger, right, where it affects the party. Mm-hmm. We've talked about some of this before in episode 27, intra-party conflict. You need to be cautious when you have players who all aren't on the same page. You have characters aren't on the same page. That's fine because the players know what's going on and they can figure it out amongst themselves but like both for a player and a gm like having someone get stabbed in the back or like having someone at the table pickpocketing someone else isn't necessarily fun for a lot of players like it can be but a lot of people don't like it i don't like it it can be fun once (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah that kind of active antagonism usually is something that you as a gm are going to need to rein in or you as a player are going to say, wait, is this fun for other people too? Yeah, I mean, it's one thing to play Paranoia, and that's mm-hmm. the assumption of the game, right? It's different to be playing D&D and have your rogue picking your pocket every third turn. Especially any game like D&D where it's usually centered around longer campaigns. Like if we're playing Fiasco, of course, I'm going to screw you over. Well, yeah, I yeah. mean, that's that's why we play Fiasco. <laughs> right. But like over the course of, I don't know, three years maybe playing the same characters, like... At some point, I'm probably just going to stab you. Yeah. At, at the point where I reach for my axe and it's not there, yeah. we're going to have an issue. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, secrets don't have to be negative, right? They can they can actually benefit the party as well. Yeah. I mean, if there's a positive effect, no one's going to be upset that, like, you kept it quiet. Secret royalty? I disagree, sir. Oh, yeah? Yeah, because the brand example <laughs> was not a positive effect, despite <laughs> it helping everybody. It's because you kept the fact that you were helping them secret as well okay might be true (laughs) but i had the information and no one would use it (laughs) if you'd explained well i'm funding a guerrilla effort they didn't have clearance (laughs) (laughs) i maintain opsec (laughs) 
It's basic tradecraft, all right? <laughs> you know, you stuck to it, and it all worked out in the end. It was fine. It was fine. Of course, had there been a negative effect to your actions, like, say, they show up to Flamekeep and there's no way in because Brand kind of screwed things up by accident. Because <laughs> Brand is a wanted fugitive in Flamekeep? <laughs> what? What? I, we have been traveling together <laughs> right. for a year and a half, depending on which plane you count. Well, I mean... <laughs> It depends on your definition of travel. I had been traveling a whole lot more than that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, a lot of times with the the risk to the party type of secret, it's usually a PC hoping that it never comes up, mm-hmm. right? So that wanted fugitive background or secret nobility or maybe a history of betrayal or, or some ancient negative quality that you want to avoid becoming public. Yeah, we talked about in the Tiefling episode, like secret Tiefling. In certain game worlds, that can get you into a lot of trouble if you're traveling with a Tiefling. Right. But it's tough to come up with an in-game reason why the PC would like share that information early on, even though it could really spell disaster for the party later. So that is actually an interesting tension that you can offer to a player. And it can be secret to other players at the table, or it could be, you know, everyone knows this, but they're characters don't know it and then everyone is kind of sitting there going man i really hope nobody figures out their tiefling right my favorite is when the two like secrets that don't affect anybody and they're just personal and then secrets that can have really big effects on the party kind of bleed together yeah so one example of this was in the morning glory campaign emery the fiend slayer bard we went 14 levels 15 levels before ever really understanding what her role in the party was and and understanding anything about her background right that she her soul had been sold to fiends by her parents and that you know as she grew into her epic levels she was the fiend slayer right she was the one we needed if we were going to kill a fiendish overlord like you need a fiend slayer right we had her all along so it was kind of this like whoa crazy you know like fate intervened kind of moment for that secret to become public it's also kind of secret from her too well you know (laughs) Like all the best character development. That's right. So speaking of which, there are a lot of different ways that you can use secrets in game. One of the most common ones, I think, is is character motivations. You know, a character has a secret and that compels them or propels them to certain kinds of actions. I'm a tiefling. I want to talk about it. Maybe that makes you sullen or you don't make friends easily. You're on the move a lot. You purposefully avoid fire because people notice that it doesn't really hurt (laughs) you. A secret can make a boring-ish normal backstory into something a lot more interesting. There's no secret to Harry Potter's backstory, right? I think a reason that a lot of people hate him is he's he's a little Mary Sue-ish. Yeah, yep. Yeah, the characters in the audience know his parents were killed by Death Eaters, but that totally explains why throughout the entire series he's so gung-ho about like fighting Death Eaters and he doesn't really care about risking his life. Like, There's no one back home being like, be careful, we care about you. You mean the Dursleys? <laughs> right. They're like, maybe you should go kill a basilisk. That would be awesome. Yeah, all you need to become a Harry Sue is just have the Dursleys' as parents. Got it. <laughs> Neville, on the other hand, like at the beginning of the series, he just seems like this shy, awkward kid who's horrible at everything. And both the characters in the book and the audience reading it feel really one of two emotions about him, disdain or sympathy. Well, like, I think most people just wonder how he got in Gryffindor. <laughs> right, like... Are we sure he's not a squib? Yeah, I think yeah. some I think some of the characters even voice that opinion. Yeah. 
But pretty early on in that first book, it gets revealed, at least to the readers and to Harry, that his parents were tortured into insanity and he's raised by an overprotective grandmother. So now you had felt disdain or sympathy and now you're feeling more sympathy and that contrast between the feelings about the character before and after the reveal give the information more emotional weight than it would have had if it had just been his backstory that everyone knew you know the readers feel a little bit guilty about dismissing neville yeah i i would love that as you know if you were playing a harry potter type game where you had the neville character and not sharing that you know, like just kind of taking their taking the the abuse of the yeah. rest of the party, mm-hmm. and then as the GM stepping in to make that reveal, kind of through the the narrative, right? Rather than the Neville character ever having to explain, mm-hmm. like yeah. that, that would be like an amazing moment in a game. And then everyone's sort of going, I'm, yeah, we're I'm all sorry, horrible <laughs> people. <laughs> we just assumed you sucked, right? <laughs> we are all sociopaths. <laughs> And way more interesting than if uh, at session zero, your answer was, oh, yeah, like Death Eaters did bad things to my parents. And now, like, I feel really anxious all the time. It would (laughs) just be like, I don't know, get a better backstory where you don't suck. Right. You can also use a secret for an unexpected twist or inversion in what people assume is the regular backstory. You think you know a backstory and it turns out to be totally different. So, like, I think of a ranger who has a favorite enemy. Uh, let's say elves, right? Obviously, the thing you assume is that family was killed by elves, right? And they may even say, my family was killed by elves, and this is why I hate elves. Are you going to be all like, emo about it? I mean, you're a ranger. I think I, you have to be emo. We're building Reaper this episode, so <laughs> being edgy about that is fine. <laughs> so what's the twist? Well, maybe later you find out that her husband actually was an elf and was killed by his elven family members to prevent an intermarriage, like a cross breed marriage yeah no one wants half elves seriously they're op yeah (laughs) (laughs) they're gonna put us all out of a job yeah that'd be great right and if you could if you could find a way to hide that from the players that's even better yeah exactly you know like okay this guy hates elves actually turns out loved elves yeah (laughs) (laughs) now hates elves and that can express itself or it can come out at a tense point in the story or during a moral quandary right like the ranger meets elven children and everyone is going oh no he's gonna kill these elves he's gonna kill these kids right this is terrible and of course they they remind her of the children she could have had yeah i i could also see as a gm you could could wiggle this in if you have an elven npc that you know the rest of the party recognizes as important Mm -hmm. and they have to kind of keep away from that you know that it's causing tension in the party um that they aren't killing this elf and then that elf ends up revealing to them why that PC hates him and and why that PC is acting so aggressively and kind of sympathizes. Yeah. Oh, we deserve it. Yeah. Like, it's not my fault, but I understand why she feels that way. And again, all the players go, oh, we are terrible people. Yeah. This is basically (laughs) the ideal way to use a secret. Make everyone feel bad. I I agree. (laughs) So we've talked about dramatic irony before. It's one of my favorite tools um, in episode 48 when we talked about metagaming. But using open secrets to create dramatic irony is is fantastic and that's when you as the audience as the players know information that the characters don't and you have to watch them walk along a path that is ultimately unfavorable for them yeah in our dark sun game i know that steph's character is a former templar i am so excited for 
when that comes out and what kind of consequences that is going to have for our party when our characters find out and then when we need to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm loving it a little less because I've already lost a character to yeah. dramatic irony. So That wasn't because of the Templar. That was because of the Paladin. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> this whole episode, I think, is like an homage to Donald Rumsfeld. Like This is an example of known unknowns, right? The people playing the game know that there is something that they don't know. Mm-hmm. They don't know what it is. Right. So the tension and the interest is based around figuring it out. And you can trigger this with just you know passing some notes especially if you don't pass notes often yeah if you want to stop everyone from talking about something else just write a note it doesn't matter what you write write any note yeah (laughs) down fold it and then just pass it very obviously to one player yep it can even say just pretend like i told you something interesting but don't tell anyone (laughs) (laughs) yep this is like what text messaging at the table was meant for (laughs) (laughs) so this is obviously a great way to stir intra-party conflict. Mm-hmm. So make sure that your group is on board for that and that they're mature enough to handle that, that they'll find a way to advance the narrative without destroying the game just by introducing a little bit of conflict. Yeah. Again, we went in-depth with this in episode 27, but it's a nice way to, at least for a short amount of time, keep the group from acting as a solid whole, you know, shake things up a little bit. Yeah. Secrets are also helpful as plot hooks, right? Yeah, they they do double duty as a plot hook. If the PC is keeping a secret, it's already important to them and they're likely going to follow it, or especially if like it's involved in the story somehow. But they're also invested in not revealing it. So you just need to like lean on those pressure points. You never really know what a player is going to do to maintain that secret. You know, what links will they go to until you put them in that situation? Yeah, and the value of that is totally tied to the individual motivations of that player and character, right? So the type of player you're working with is going to view secrets differently. A power gamer probably cares less about secrets unless keeping it hidden gives them some noted advantage, mm-hmm. right? Whereas a casual gamer may not even notice that there's a, that it's secret. Right. <laughs> of course, secrets are required in order to set up plot twists. So when PCs understand that they have a gap in their knowledge, it's always great if it turns out they knew it all along. They just didn't put the pieces together correctly or they, they didn't see it in the right light or they overlooked it. Yeah, that's an example of unknown knowns. They knew it and didn't know they knew it. It's very, you have had the power all along. Like yeah. You're wearing those slippers. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Maybe don't reveal it like literally in the last last act. Maybe like earlier on or hint at it. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. I also like tying together individual players' secrets. Clue. (laughs) If you've got characters that all have their own grievances and and personal villain, and it turns out all of those villains work for the same boss. Yeah. That sort of thing. Everyone's been blackmailed. You as a GM have contacted each PC in-game individually and said, I have information about you that you don't want to get out. Do these things for me. Right. That introduces the moral quandary. And it turns out, same person. Someone comes clean and goes, guys, I've been I've been blackmailed. I have a terrible secret to tell you. And then one by one, yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> also, also me. I, I know what you did last summer. <laughs> and then I think this one's a little tropey, but I like it. Uh, the memory loss. Like the, the PC had the info. 
but they were either forced to forget it or they made themselves forget it, but they need the info again. Oh, I love this one. This is like a detail of your personal past as well. Yeah. It's like, I, I, I don't know what I did in the war, but I know people are afraid of me. And then you can get into that whole, like, do you really want to know yourself? You know, there's a reason that this, you don't have this information anymore. Yeah. You know, maybe, you know, an antagonist took away the entire party's memories of an event and they need to piece it back together. Maybe you made yourself forget because it was so awful you couldn't live with yourself. Yeah, for your own good. So that brings us to the reveal. And this is, I think, the most important point, right? It's like, this is the prestige, right? If you, if a secret never becomes public in a game, it's not really a secret. It's just headcanon. Yeah. I think 99% of the time you want to end up revealing a secret. Several ways to do this. It could be willingly revealed by the person who has the secret. And I think this is the way that you'll usually want to do it. it. It's a lot of fun for the player to finally share that info with the other players. Yeah, it's also fun for the GM when you finish a campaign to kind of fill in the blanks, you know? <laughs> here was the thing you guys missed, or here was what was going on around you, you know, those kind of things. So if you're a player who's got a secret, even before that comes up in game, consider what are the conditions under which you will reveal that secret? You know, there should be some circumstances where you're going to reveal it. Like, if you, there's no chance you'll ever reveal it, then it's just sort of a backstory motivation. Right. So, like I said, I was secretly setting up a guerrilla network within Thrain, and I was also doing a lot of secret research, and I was willing to reveal that secret at the moment we were about to fight Belshalor. <laughs> <laughs> so, as you're playing the game, do those conditions change? Or, as your character develops deeper friendships with other people in the party do those conditions change yeah also consider whether you can deputize someone else to keep your secret as well if if they will enjoy keeping that secret alongside you and then also consider if in the long run it's going to be more fun for you but also for everyone else at the table if this secret comes out you know sooner rather than later yeah you know is it fun for everybody to be in on it and like now it's a party secret yeah talk with your gm to find a dramatic moment for that reveal because you know you and they may have different ideas about when this is going to happen or what circumstances it's going to happen and you don't want to sort of be forced to do it before you're ready if you were planning for it to happen yeah but if your gm has kind of agreed to a secret it almost certainly means the gm wants to see it revealed at some point mm -hmm. so keep a dialogue about that i think there are realistically going to be some secrets that a player does not want to reveal and you need to be careful with these um, especially when you talk about being a fugitive or a murderer or, or some irredeemable evil in your history something like that where realistically that ends your participation in the campaign yeah. or it feels like it will or you know you'll die <laughs> so yeah you might have no way out you might be forced to reveal a secret in game and you need to consider is your character actually willing to die to keep this secret because that probably is not conducive to playing a long campaign. No. No. Likewise, um, you know, are you willing to let another PC die for the cover-up? That's probably not conducive to staying in a group for a long period of time. Right, yeah. Also probably questionable for the GM. Yeah. And then also consider, you know, as a GM, you can always use NPCs to reveal secrets because no secret is truly kept by a single person. Right. But try and keep an eye for the dramatic so if if it's a better more tense reveal if it comes from the pc 
work with the player to make sure that they're going to reveal it and not having to kind of come in over the top of them with an NPC reveal. Yeah, so to go back to the Neville Longbottom example, like it's more interesting and fun if someone else reveals that because it's almost like uh, the PC's bragging if they're the one who brings it up. Right. So what happens when that secret comes out? Uh, you fight. Obviously. You're going to fight. Yeah. I mean. Violence is the only option. It's That's why you have a whole sheet full of violent stats. <laughs> so... Seriously, though, be ready for some PvP, if not outright fighting, at least some uh, frequent undermining. Yeah, and remember, this can happen because of the secret itself. Like, the fact that it was secret could cause this, regardless of the reason of the secret. Exactly, like, it could have been very reasonable, but hey... You didn't share that with us. Yeah. It's messed up, man. I feel bad about that. I feel like you didn't trust me, but also nine different times we all could have died because of this right you didn't and that's lucky but i'm at least gonna kick your ass right now mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i mean it can also create sympathy so it can enhance the bond between pcs or create a new bond that didn't exist previously yeah the jerk ranger actually has a pretty good reason for being a jerk yeah i'm the jerk i'm the jerk that's the secret i didn't know <laughs> I can also yield some punishment. Uh, this could be story-related or mechanical, um, some type of penalty that a PC ends up paying. Yeah, you stole stuff from me? Well, guess what? You're the pack mule now. Right. And it could just be that the other players are really happy to find this out. Hold on, you're actually a prince? Well, that, that makes this whole thing easier. Yeah. <laughs> this is so great. Because... <laughs> I was pretty sure that we didn't have a way forward, but now we do. <laughs> so if you're a GM, there are specific ways that you can use secrets to your advantage. You might have some information that is specific to one individual PC. You know, you share it with them either via email or you pass a note in game. You can call them out of the room and then you just let the player or the PC decide what information they're going to share with other people. It's a really easy way to seed multiple plot hooks. You know, often you'll present a plot hook and then the party sort of all together as a group decides if they're going to pursue it or ignore it. And some people might want to follow it, but most of the people don't want to. And so it doesn't go anywhere. But an individual PC, when presented with a plot hook, can decide to pursue it on their own, especially if it's tied somehow to their backstory. And you can tie that into the main narrative later. You know, maybe it goes somewhere... And you just sort of handle it as like a personal secret and that's fine. But maybe you tie it back in and then it turns out, oh, hey, like the sage has been investigating this stuff on their own for a long time. Maybe it's time you sort of share the results of that research, huh? Yeah, you've also got sidebars as a useful tool because when you ask somebody to stand up from the table and, and step aside, right, it's a very physical interaction. You know, people can't avoid but notice that it's happening. Yeah, even more than passing notes, it's, can you join me in the other room? No, no, just you. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, who knows what they then turn around and reveal to the party, right? right? And and coach a player through that, right? Okay, you are now under the effect of mind control. Here's how I want you to act. Do not share that with the other players. Yeah, it's great for purposefully seeding suspicions or misinformation. And it, it's great when players know that they're dealing with things like, mind control or illusions or say they know that one of them is a mole they just don't know which of them is a mole and so if you want to throw suspicions toward one person call that person out right you may not be talking about being a mole because maybe they're not the mole 
<laughs> but now all the players certainly think that they are. <laughs> Thanks, GM. <laughs> Thanks for making me the meta mole. <laughs> so, Shane, secrets. Too dangerous to use in game? Nope, absolutely required. Really? Yep. I think they are the secret sauce to a good RPG. I get it. Like the even if it's just a plot twist that's only known by the GM and revealed to the players when it happens, I think that's that's enough. But you need something. If all the cards are on the table, I don't think it's that fun. Yeah, I agree. A secret is the only way that you're going to get people to experience surprise at the table. You know, like we're rolling dice and you don't necessarily know what's going to happen, but you can roll 20 and everyone knows that it could happen. You're not surprised when it happens, but like genuinely being shocked is something that is definitely possible in a really cool and amazing game. Yeah. And it's also as a GM, it's like the only way to know that you've gotten the players like fully in, (laughs) you know, it's like when they're invested enough to be surprised, you've got them. Yeah. Like one of my favorite things is like watching things click oh yeah and then it's followed by like laughter or 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 sometimes like it's always followed by arguing of why that's not right (laughs) (laughs) right they're pissed for like a half second yeah (laughs) you get five stages of grief in no time it is a bit of an advanced technique but play around with it avoid the pvp early on and see where you go from there do you hear that ishan uh yes but i'm not going to tell you what it is All right, well, let's just go to the Character Creation Forge. Before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane, at Mundangerous, that's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan, at Evil Sans Carne, that's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show, at TPTCast. You can also email us if you can't fit it into 140 characters at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.totalpartythrillcast.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Total Party Thrill. This week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building uh, an Overwatch character called Reaper. And I have to admit that I don't understand what any of those words mean because I don't know anything about video games after Neverwinter Nights 1. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I could tell you don't overbop. <laughs> this is an English podcast. <laughs> So Reaper is one of the villains of Overwatch. He is this kind of super edgelord, demonic guy wearing a mask and a you know, black cloak. And he kind of teleports around the place and has two hell cannons that he uses for close range combat. Which is a, is a thunder cannon. Is that what that is? No, it's not a thunder <laughs> cannon. Uh, it's more like a shotgun, you know? Okay. So yeah, his, his kind of core abilities, he has the ability to teleport he has the ability to kind of turn into like ghost form so he can escape he can't be damaged and then when he kills somebody he can harvest their soul to regain hit points Um, and then his like ultimate ability is uh, it's called death blossom he basically spins around in a circle and shoots his gun a whole lot and damages everyone in the area isn't that the move from the last starfighter the death blossom I, i don't know or is that um at outback steakhouse uh, the Death Blossom is at Outback Steakhouse. Uh, you got to pay extra for that, though. It's off menu. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So what's the build? Swashbuckler Rogue 9, Shadow Monk 6, Pact of the Tome, Fiend Patron Warlock 5. I definitely like this build. You can already tell it's got a lot of capabilities. Yeah. So it's a, it's a close range fighter. That's key because Reaper uses basically two shotguns. But Rogue gets you sneak attack 
And as a swashbuckler, you can do it when no one else is around. Yep. And then you also get the ability to disengage from combat for free. You don't have to take a bonus action to disengage with cunning action. Uh, you, you can't move as far, but you know you can always do that for free, which is sort of Reaper's like quick hit and then uh, wraith form out, uh, sort of his approach. Um, of course, you get expertise in stealth and and other useful abilities, so that's good. Shadow Monk gets you extra attack, stunning strike, which is okay. Your wisdom's probably not going to be great, but it's nice to have. But as a Shadow Monk, you do get to cast a few really useful spells. You get Pass Without Trace, Silence, Darkness, and Dark Vision. This is where we get into the real edgy part of the character when we get into all the shadow stuff. (laughs) At level 6, you'll get the ability to teleport when you're in Dim Light or Darkness into Dim Light or Darkness. Uh, And then you also have advantage on your next attack after you do that. So very ambush kind of oriented Reaper type character. Fiendlock lets you harvest the soul energy of people who die near you. When you reduce a creature to zero hit points, you get a few temporary HP. And Gash's form is also on your spell list. So at level five, you'll be able to turn into ghostly mist and run away. Yep, you've also got Sword Burst as a cantrip, which isn't the perfect analog for Death Blossom, but it does damage all enemies nearby. To be fair, Whirlwind Attack from Ranger also isn't the perfect analog to Death Blossom because it sucks. Yeah, I mean, truthfully, it's probably just using an area effect spell and hitting yourself with it because whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Like, fireball myself, fine. Right, I have evasion. Right. I'm going to succeed on this dexterity saving throw. I'll be fine. Yeah. And you get to choose three invocations. We highly recommend Agonizing Blast because duh. I actually, I would take a different flavor one here to get more Reaper, but yes, you're right. That is the more powerful option. One with shadows, which lets you turn invisible when you're in dim light or darkness until you what, take an action. Yes. But you, so you can move around, yeah? Good yeah, scouting. action or reaction, I believe. Oh, perfect. So you can actually drop darkness on yourself, go invisible, and then start scouting around. And then, of course, Devil's Sight, which means you can see in that magical darkness. Now, a couple things here. That means you can see what you're doing when you drop it on yourself, but it also means that you can teleport out of that area of darkness. Because remember, teleporting requires line of sight. So before this, if you drop darkness on yourself, you can't teleport out. Yeah, that's a handy little combo. All right, if you want to know about Reaper's backstory, just watch any of the Overwatch YouTube videos. I went to a wiki. Yeah, he's one of the assassins of Talon, I believe. Yes. He looks like Skeletor with body armor. It looks like Darth Vader and Skeletor had a baby. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, with a little like Assassin's Creed mixed in. Yeah, I also don't know anything about that because that's also a video game. Uh, but it's also a movie. Oh, you don't know about that Fassbender? <laughs> <laughs> He's not my favorite. Was it Fassbender? I don't even I know. I think it is. I think it is. <laughs> I'm disappointed. In wow, this ability is actually called Shadow Step. Boom. Yeah. Uh, All right. If you want to support the show, the easiest way to do that is to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And if you're willing to help us out, we'll read your five-star review on the air. You can also find us on Stitcher. It's like a Pandora for podcasts. If you like or favorite us there, the algorithm will help other people find us. And we've got a new five-star review this week. This is No Pun Intended by Zabiaz. I've been listening to your podcast for a few months now and wanted to wait till I caught up to make a review. This podcast is one of the best I've listened to. If you love role-playing games at all, it's basically like having two guys to talk to in late-night D&D chats. I've played my fair share of 5e, but I feel so much more well-versed in the subject after listening to these guys each week. 10 out of 10, anyone who plays RPGs needs to give you guys a listen. 
and a shout out to Jesse who showed me you guys. Uh, we would also like to give a shout out to Jesse who I am assuming must be uh, the body Ventura. Oh, really? We got the governor. I, yes, definitely. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> uh, but, you know, thank you for the kind words. And uh, I'm, I'm glad that that's what we sound like because I used to do that late night D&D IRC chatting. So I was one of those guys. Uh, and thank you to Jesse for uh, telling a friend because that is the best way to uh, to grow the show. Tell a friend, everyone. Make a friend, then tell a friend. Yeah, I would have yeah. to make a friend yeah. first, so yeah. it's probably better if you guys just do that. Yeah, you don't have a friend. No, not definitely not a co-host friend. Oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ishan, what do we have planned for next week's episode? We are talking about creating character backgrounds. And in the Character Creation Forge? We are building the Chevalier. Well, that's it for episode 78 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we've lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.